17 says this. We're just going to jump right in. John 1.17 says this. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it again. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the scripture. God, I pray in these next few moments as we look into it that we will see Jesus as he really is, as he truly is, that we will see ourselves as we truly are, and we will see the gap that needs to be made up. And God, I pray that you would help us to follow, that you would draw, continue, Lord, as I prayed earlier, to draw us to be followers of you. I pray in these next few moments as we look at the scripture that we would be changed, we'd be transformed, open our eyes that we see, our ears that we hear, and our hearts that we be moved to follow you. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of heaven, how that Jesus announced in Matthew 4, 17, the announcement of the kingdom of heaven. He announced it with the word repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And how that then he called his disciples to follow. And so we said last week that uh, to get into this kingdom of heaven, the, the beginning of the kingdom of heaven in your life is to repent and to follow, right? You remember that last week? So all of us begin there. We got to repent. Repent of what? Repent of our sins. Repent of our shortcomings. Repent of, of our failures. Repent, turn around, and start following Jesus. So we repent and we follow, and that gets us into the kingdom. And at the end of the, the fourth chapter of Matthew, we see Jesus going about teaching and preaching the kingdom of heaven. And so that's kind of where we ended last week. So this week, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter. I said last week that I, don't, I wish they hadn't put the chapter separations in. I wish it just was Matthew 4 and 5 were together because Jesus was teaching and preaching the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew 5, I think we get a peek into what he was preaching and teaching. But there's kind of a separation there. So sometimes in our minds, we'll separate those. But I believe that in Matthew 5, we have Jesus preaching what the kingdom of God looks like. This kingdom that he has come to establish looks like. And, and so the, the next, I talked about this last week, but if you weren't here, the next several weeks, we're going to be covering the teachings of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry all the way up through uh, his Passion Week. And then uh, during the, the five Sundays of Lent, we're going to be preaching about his last week on earth. We're going to go through all of the events of his last week on earth that will lead us right up to Palm Sunday and then into Easter. So we're going to be talking about the teachings of Jesus. And today is the introduction into the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon recorded by Jesus in the New Testament. So I think it's pretty important. Because what we do with Jesus is we reduce him down to three days. Good Friday, Easter, Christmas. Four days. We'll give him Palm Sunday too sometimes. But we talk about those days, and those days are very important. They are probably the most important. But Jesus had a lot to say. It wasn't just about him coming and dying for our sins. That was part of it. Yes, of course it was. It wasn't just about him resurrecting from the dead. 
giving us a way to then follow in his footsteps and be resurrected someday. Yes, of course it was about that. that that's a huge part of it. But it was also about him coming and teaching us how to live this kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus declares in Matthew 4, 17, is here now. It's at hand, not far off, not someday some, somewhere on a distant planet somewhere that we have no idea. No, the kingdom of heaven is here now. And it is available now to us through Jesus Christ, through his birth, death, resurrection, yes, but also through living out the teachings that he gave us. Because it is coming, but it is here. It is here yet coming, right? We, stu- we do look for the day. But in the meantime, we are occupying and we are living. We are joint heirs with Christ, but that also means uh, we are co-laborers with him. So his kingdom, his thoughts, his teachings need to become our way of life. That's what I believe the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they're interchangeable in your Bible. I believe it, it, is, it is the Christians, the people of God, living out the life that God gave us through his son, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be talking about the next several weeks is about Jesus' teachings and how they apply to us. The kingdom is about those days I mentioned, those holy days, but it is about so much more. And like I said, it's the longest recorded. Matthew chapter 5 is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the New Testament. And in Matthew's gospel, if you've studied much of the New Testament, particularly the gospels, you know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels. They are the gospels that are um, written very similar. They kind of follow a chronological order of Jesus' life. They're the synoptic gospels. They're very similar. Then you have the gospel of John, which is very different But in Matthew's gospel, Matthew is very concerned about showing us how that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. There are many references over and over about thus fulfilling the prophets or thus fulfilling the law. Matthew is concerned with letting us know that Jesus fulfilled everything that the Old Testament had to say. So... That's fascinating about the book of Matthew. And when you read Matthew, you'll notice that there are lots of references there. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 5. I'm just going to read. We're just going to take really the first couple of verses. I did not get that up. The only scripture I got was the one that we've already read. Seeing the crowds, this is Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. I want to stop there for just a moment because this is kind of easy to brush by. But in in knowing how Matthew is always pointing us back to the Old Testament, Matthew is pointing us to a parallel here. Moses went went up the mountain to hear from God, right? Moses went up the mountain and God gave the law. What did I just read to you earlier from John 1.17? The law came through Moses. But grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. Moses goes up the mountain. The people can't go up the mountain because God tells them they can't. 
Surely they'll die if they come near this mountain. I'm, my presence is on this mountain. Moses, you're the only one who can come to the, up the mountain. Tell the people to stay away from the mountain. But now we have God going up the mountain, calling the people to him to give us grace and truth. The law came through Moses. The law was a, was a teacher. The law was a tutor, Paul tells us. The law was a tutor to teach us about Jesus. If you read the Old Testament and it doesn't lead you to Jesus, you're reading it wrong. Well, that's quite a statement to make. Well, it's not my statement. I'm repeating what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You read the law because you think that in it you can find eternal life. But it is speaking about me, Jesus said. So if you read the Old Testament and you come away thinking that you serve a God who is vengeful and is going to kill all your enemies, then you're reading it wrong. Because the, the Old Testament points you to Jesus. And I, it was so funny during worship this morning when Jesse was talking, and I'm, I'm back there praying, I'm like, Lord, I want to be like you. Jesus, I want to be like you. And I don't know if it was me or if it was the Holy Spirit. But I'm very, I don't like to say the Lord spoke to me, you know, all the time or the Holy Spirit. But this is what came up in me. Unless you're willing to, to take up a cross and be nailed to it and murdered for your enemies, then you're not yet like Jesus. Because there are people that, I mean, let's all be honest. There are people that we don't like for some of you, it's Republicans. For some of you, it's Democrats. For some of you, it's uh, Presbyterians. For some of you, it's Methodists. For some of you, it's Baptists. For some of you, it's Pentecostals. But until, because Scripture says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, you don't die for anybody else's sins. Please don't mishear me. But we're called to live a life like Jesus. We are called to take up our cross. But what we think sometimes when we, when, when we hear, take up your cross and follow me, this is the kingdom of heaven. Here's how sometimes it goes in my head. I need to get everybody else to live like me. That was funny, Tatum. I agree, that is funny. But until, and this is not in my notes, and I, I felt like, it came up in my spirit while we were praying, and I was like, God, I want to be like you. I felt like I heard, until you're ready to die for your enemies, then you're not like me. And I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. I don't know if you're ready to do that yet. Think about your enemies. Think about the people that you think are ruining things or are coming against you and hurting you. There's people, I, trust me, I know. I know there are people, and they're coming to your mind right now. <laughs> Maybe some of us share the same people. <laughs> Let's get together and get them. No, kidding. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> but until we can come to a place like Abraham when he stood over Sodom and Gomorrah and, God, and, and prayed God save them, or Moses when he stood before the children of Israel who were coming against him, Korah was, was bringing a rebellion against him and Moses and God said, I've had it with these people. I'm going to take you, Moses, but the rest of them I'm writing off. And Moses said, no, blot my name out of the book. Save them. So until we can come to that place where we're willing to lay our life down for even our enemies, 
then we're not yet like Christ. This is not in the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is all Jesse's fault. Because this is, this is during worship, I felt the Lord was speaking that to me. We want to be like Jesus. But we have this idea of what Jesus was like. But I want to look at these next few weeks. We're going to look into the scriptures and I want to come face to face with the real Jesus, with the real God in the flesh, the words that he said, the life that he lived. And then if we can pattern ourselves after him, because I'm I'm here to tell you, we're not called to follow David into battle. We're not called to follow uh, Samson into battle. We're called to follow Jesus to a cross. That's what we're called to do. And that doesn't sound fun. Because we can all get behind a, uh, a warrior, can't we? I can get behind Samson. I'd love to hear his story about how he took a donkey's jawbone and busted a few heads. A thousand Philistines. We could all get behind that, yeah. Yeah. somebody shamed and murdered on a cross and then we're called to take up our cross anyway man this is i'm taking i'm 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 turned off my notes for for just a minute we are called to follow jesus make us followers of you jesus yes we speak the truth we do we we are called to speak the truth but we speak the truth in what love And if you can't speak the truth with love, then zip your lips. Because if if you're doing wrong and I can't confront you in a way that brings truth and love to you, then I'm not ready. Then I'm not ready to bring truth to you because you will not receive that truth. Do you think that Westboro Baptist Church, when they, when they, do you think they've ever got any converts from standing outside of uh, rock concerts or uh, high schools or Gaither concerts where I met one? I was going to a Gaither concert. Gaithers are Southern gospel. And these, this guy's holding a sign with an arrow pointing toward the concert said, this way to hell. And against the counsel of my wife, I stopped and talked to him. And... He just was just telling me how I was going to hell and how he hated me and, and how God hated me and all this stuff. And he was telling me how that God hated all these, these groups of people. And I just said to him, I said, I said, can you, I can't remember, what are the fruits of the Spirit? And he just stopped. And at that point, I finally listened to the counsel of my wife and I moved on. But we are called, we're not called to, to bring truth without love. We're called to bring truth with love. And we can bring truth with love. It is possible to do. We see it in the life of Jesus. Okay, Matthew 5. Sorry, that was my intro. Jesus goes up the mountain just like Moses. But instead of Moses hearing from God, now Jesus, as God, gives us grace and truth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I believe that's as far as we're going to get today (laughs) in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's not a ton of us here today. What does anybody think that means? Poor in spirit. Any, any, any shots? I had a conversation with a guy not too long ago, and we were talking about the Beatitudes, how we, don't, how we hadn't heard a lot of sermons on the Beatitudes. And he said, well, do you think maybe that's because we just don't understand them? I said, that probably is part of it. Part of it. Kind of lazy on our part, maybe, for <laughs> not... Digging in, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke's gospel, Luke leaves out the in spirit part. He just says, blessed are the poor. Luke, the sixth chapter, I believe, is verse 20. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is talking to his disciples. I mean, I'm not going to try to spiritualize this too much. and uh, They were... Poor in spirit. The rich in spirit at that time were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the people who were in Bible college, who had given their lives to the study of Scripture. Those were the rich in spirit. Now, they probably were the poorest of the poor in spirit. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And when he says blessed here, blessed in those times was not a term used for humans. It was a term that was used for heavenly beings or maybe the afterlife. But then Jesus comes along and speaks the word blessed toward humans. Blessed toward those who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. A poverty of spirit. Here's what I think. Here's what I think it means. People who recognize that they are poor in spirit. That they, people who recognize that they need God. People who recognize that they don't have it all figured out. The Pharisees did not recognize this. The Pharisees were very poor in spirit, but they thought they were rich. In fact, they would make public prayers and say things like, God, I thank you that I'm not, and they'd look around, not like this woman or like this tax collector. That's what, that's what the, the, the uh, spiritual leaders were praying in public. They were, they were the poor in spirit. So if you're poor, it means, don't raise your hand, but how many in here would feel comfortable if I called on you to stand and pray? Don't raise your hand. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Probably not everybody, right? But guess what? That's fine. You don't ever have to get to the point where you think, I've got to be able to do that. Because Jesus instructs us when we pray to go into our closet. Everybody's not called to stand and pray in front of people. So if you feel inadequate in that way, it's okay because most people are. And even the people who, who, who feel comfortable doing it are faking it a lot of the time too. So poor in spirit is someone who recognizes that they need Jesus, that they haven't got it all figured out. Guess what? None of us have it all figured out. And it's okay if you feel like you're poor in spirit or if you're not very good at being a Christian or if you're not very good at praying or if you're not very good at interpreting the Bible when you read it. It's okay because Jesus recognizes that in people and he says you're blessed because the kingdom of heaven is yours. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to the super spiritual who think they've got it all figured out. 
It belongs to the commoner who recognizes that he needs God. When Jesus tells the story about the Pharisee who, who says that prayer, who says that prayer, who says, I thank you that I'm not a woman. I thank you that I'm not a tax collector. Jesus then tells him about a, a publican who came and prayed and would not even look at God, just bowed his head, beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, whose prayer do you think was heard? It was the one who wasn't eloquent in his words. God's looking for some people who recognize they are poor in spirit, who recognize that they don't have it all figured out. Who don't stand up and say, our most gracious heavenly father, we thank thee. We betroth upon thee the most honor that thou deserveth. He's looking for some people who realize that they don't have it all figured out. And guess what? If you think you're not that person, you're wrong. Blessed are those who recognize that they need God. Because what it will turn into is something else that we're going to read later on in the, in the Beatitudes. It's going to turn into a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Because once you recognize, that's why Jesus, I think that's why Jesus starts the Beatitudes with this. Because you, you have to recognize that you need him or you, none of the rest of the Beatitudes will apply. You have to recognize that in you there is poverty of spirit that you don't have it all figured out, that you need Jesus. And until you can come to that place, then the rest of the Beatitudes will have no effect upon your life. Because if you come into the Beatitudes thinking, I've got it all figured out, and this is just a cute little story, another cute thing that Jesus said, not really going to change my life, then they're not going to affect you like they're supposed to. So as we dive into the Beatitudes this morning, I want us all to realize that we all need Jesus. As we go into the Beatitudes, let's look at them as if we're looking at them for the first time, hearing them for the first time, and realize that in our poverty of spirit that we can find the richness of God's grace. Amen. Amen. Man, I, I butchered my notes. Apologize to myself that was that did this. Every time I put my notes together, I'm like, I'm gonna stick to them this time, I'm gonna stick to them this time. And then I'm all over. <clears throat> all right, so Jesus teaches, sits, sits down to teach. Um, I didn't say this, but I wanted to say it, so I'm gonna say it. The the Beatitudes, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. They've been, they've been looked at by some, they've been interpreted by some in the Christian tradition as being too, too risky. Like this, this way of living, because we're going to get into, Jesus is going to say some controversial things. He's going to say some things like, we're not going to cover today, we, I kind of did a little bit earlier. He's going to say some things like, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but I'm telling you to love your enemy. Do good to those who do bad to you. That's risky. And so, and so some traditions interpret the, the Beatitudes as what it's going to be someday when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom. That someday we're going to be able to live that way. But now, that's too risky. We can't live that way. I can't love my enemies now. So, so that is how some people interpret that. But the earliest Christians interpreted it as literal. The earliest Christians interpreted this as literal. And then someone even so far as to say that if governments would adopt this, 
that states and governments should adopt this Sermon on the Mount. Think about, the, think about if that really happened. That if we all loved our neighbor as ourself, that if we all did unto others as they did, unto, as we would have them to do unto us, there would be peace on earth. There would be peace on earth. So where do I fall? Where do I come in on, on the inter- interpreting the Beatitudes? Where do you think? I think we are called to live it out here and now, every day that we live. What is God's will for your life? I promise I can tell you right now, people say all the time, what's God's will for my life? It's to repent, follow Jesus, and live this sermon out. And then, yes, God will lead you and guide you in different ways. But I don't know, am I called to preach? Am I called to? You are called to live out this kingdom that Jesus established. You are called to, I promise you. And you, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for any of us. We are called to repent, to follow Jesus, and to follow him by living the way he lived and doing the teachings he gave us. We're not just to be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word. So I don't dismiss the Beatitudes as as being too risky. Yeah, there's risk involved. Obviously, look at the way Jesus' life ended. Jesus lived this out. Are we going to be perfect? No. Are we going to fail? Yes. I I admitted to you at the beginning of, of this sermon that I don't think I'm ready yet to lay my life down for my enemies. And I, if, if there were a show of hands, we probably, a lot of us could say that. Now, maybe you are, maybe you have come close to arriving and you're about to be translated like Enoch. But I'm not there. God still has some work to do in me. And I believe as I submit my life, as I repent, as I commit to following him, and as I commit to living the life that he showed us, that we're going to be talking about these next few weeks, that it is possible for the for some of the kingdom to come here and now. What is it that we pray? Every single Sunday, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus have us pray that if it wasn't possible? Yes, I understand there is a day coming where all will be made right, where Jesus will come back and he will establish his reign as king of kings and lord of lords, but he's king of kings and lord of lords now. Amen. All right. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is more than just the platitude of blessing. Um, you know, like or somewhere, sometimes around here and in the South, somebody will say, oh, bless your heart. What, they, what that really means is you're a moron. <laughs> That's not, you know, sometimes we use blessing as a platitude. Oh, bless you. Somebody will sneeze and we say, bless you. Or, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not telling you not to do that. Um, bless your heart. But, but like I said, that blessedness is not as shallow as material blessings. It's an eternal blessed. It's a deeper blessing, one that's hard to explain and not described easily. It's the hearers that day to them, it, it meant divine joy. And, and that particular term of blessing was reserved typically for heavenly beings. And now Jesus is coming and saying that we can experience this blessedness. 
It implies inner satisfaction and sufficient uh, inner satisfaction that does not depend on circumstances around us. Jesse kind of talked about that earlier. So the poor in spirit, Jesus was talking to a crowd who was poor in spirit. And most of us are poor in spirit. I'd venture to say all of us are poor in spirit and we need Jesus. So the first beatitude then is to realize to walk around with a posture of understanding that you need Jesus. As you live your life, as you go about your day, go about it not with the confidence of I've, I've got it all figured out. He does. I trust in the one who does. But I need Jesus. And when you're met with circumstances and with people, bring the truth with love to them and come from a posture of, being poor in spirit, okay? So that's, that's the first thing that we're called to do in uh, Matthew's gospel there, is to be poor in spirit, to recognize that we have a need for Jesus. All right, uh, I, I did briefly mention that in Luke's gospel, it, he just says the poor. Um, and I believe that that also applies to the poor, um, because if you... Listen to John the Baptist preaching the song, and then also the song of Mary. Uh, John talks about every mountain being brought down, every valley being brought up. Mary, in her song, prophesies that um, the high and mighty will be brought down, the poor will be exalted. There are some, uh, think about the, the, uh, the parable of Jesus, the rich man and Lazarus. Abraham says to the rich man, he says, in your life you had all these good things. You had your blessing then. So we are not to look down upon the poor as being less than us. As being, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and I said something that I struggle with is I'll drive by and I'll see somebody, uh, you know, standing at the, at the stoplight holding a sign. Or, and in my mind, you know, the first thing that comes up out of me is, man, I, you know, I work, all, I work hard all day, every day, you know, if this person would just get a job or, you know, you start having those thoughts, right? And those are common thoughts to have. We tend to, as a society, look down upon the poor. But I believe that the gospel teaches us not to do that. Because we have not walked in anyone else's shoes but our own. So, blessed are the poor. The poor, we are not to look down as a society upon the poor. Jesus was talking to people who did do that who uh, did not value the poor. Okay. So blessed are the, um, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So then we're going to move on to, uh, I think it's verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, to mourn is to feel or show great sorrow or regret. As I, was, as I was reading this, um, this past week and I was thinking about it, I was thinking about how that in Bible times, mourning was, was a lot different than it is now. If you read the Old Testament, it says that when Moses died, the children of Israel mourned for him for 40 days. 40 days. 
when Aaron died, they mourned for him for 40 days. When, uh, let's see, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When Jacob died in Egypt, the whole country of Egypt mourned him for 70 days. We, in, in, in our society, in Western civilization, Western culture, we have a mourning problem. We don't do it right. We do it poorly. In, in, in biblical times, in Jesus' time, they would mourn for a minimum of seven days. That meant no bathing, no cutting your hair, no shaving. Oftentimes, it would mean rending your clothes. You'd get so upset, you'd rip your clothes. They would mourn. They, they, professional wailers or criers, people would come to their house and cry and mourn with them for days. Even there, there was a, um, in, in some of the early rabbis' teachings, there were, um, even the poor were offered uh, two flute players when someone would die, even if they couldn't afford them. Two professional flute players would go to their house for seven days and play for them to mourn. Mourning was, was very different. When Jesus, when Jesus talking to this group said, blessed are those who mourn, he was talking to people who took mourning more seriously than what we do. Now, let me be clear. We mourn. Our bodies mourn. We don't always, we just sometimes push it down, hold it back. It'll seep out of us in anger at someone or in bitterness or, in, or we'll lash out at somebody. Or We mourn. We just do it poorly, I think. I think our culture is very poor. Uh, we just want to get everything done with move on. Anybody who's ever experienced a loss, you, know, you notice how like after a few days, your friends just, they're all, their lives just move on. Everybody's life just keeps going. And then it's like, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. It's like your world is still stopped, but everybody else is just moving on. I believe that the ancient cultures were better at this than we are. They would come together as a community. They would mourn. Uh, that really doesn't enrich what I'm trying to say, but I just thought it was interesting, so I thought I'd give it to you. Uh, the Scripture says that they would lament loudly and bitterly. Jesus comes upon a scene, you remember, where he goes into a house where someone has died and there was chaos and confusion. And Jesus had to send them all out so that he could pray. That's in Mark 5.38, the crowd of mourners. So, like I mentioned, Moses was mourned for 30 days. Anyway, Jesus is talking to a group of people who know, know what it is to mourn, who, who understands that mourning is not just some... When he says the word mourn there, he's not talking about somebody took your parking spot or um, nobody liked your Facebook post or uh, nobody retweeted your, your joke. He's talking about real deep mourning. And he says, blessed, blessed are those who mourn. This would not have made sense to them, just as it's not making sense to us today. We are blessed when you mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. How? How is that a blessing? How is it a blessing when you mourn? Why does it say that they are blessed? It 
And mourning, we know that mourning has mourning and grief. There are five stages, and I'm not going to... I'll mention them all briefly to you, but I'm not going to go deeply into all of them. Uh, the first is denial, then anger, then bargaining, then depression, then acceptance. These are real emotions and real things that we as humans go through. And there is no shame in needing um, professional um, talking to somebody about it if you, if you have gone through those and need help getting through that. Um, if you ever need to talk to any of us pastors, we'd be more than happy to, to talk to you or to help you or to guide you to someone uh, that we think could help you. There's no shame in that. That's a, they're human emotions that we experience and go through, and lots of times we need help. We're a community, right? We're called, we are no, no man is an island. Nobody can get through everything on their own. We're called to, to be there for one another. So Jesus is talking to, to people who have mourned real things. Just in our own community, we, we, there was a tragic death this past weekend that makes absolutely no sense and is not fair. And I know it's touched some of your lives where a young woman was driving down the Belt Highway and someone who had no business being on the road, senseless, took her life. There's mourning. That's tragic. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. And when Jesse was talking earlier about sometimes when we question God, those are the questions that we take to him sometimes. But guess what? God can handle your questions. God's not afraid of your questions. God can handle your questions. And, and we're mourning. So why does it say blessed? And, and here's what I came to as I prayed about it and I thought about it. The blessing is not in the harm or the loss. The blessing is that you're not alone. In our mourning, we're not alone. In our sorrow, in our loss, in our grief, we're not alone. Jesus himself stands at one of his good friend's graveside, and the scripture tells us that he weeps. And then, he, then the sister, uh, he starts talking to the sisters again. And they say, if you had been here and if you had done this, and he weeps again, he loses it several times at his friend Lazarus' grave. And then we see the Jesus another time in Luke's gospel. I'm going to read you this account. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier where they were carrying him. The bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. This is a case where Jesus takes away the pain. But the comfort is not that he takes away our pain and suffering every time. But he sometimes does. But if, if Jesus took away every pain and every hurt that we had, that would soon be replaced with another pain and another hurt, because that's what life is. In this life, you will have trouble. We're all going to have trouble throughout our lives. We're all going to face things. The difference for a Christian is that we're not alone. We're walking with Jesus. The, comfort, the comforting is knowing that 
Number one, you're seen, this woman. She was seen. Jesus saw her. She was weeping. She had lost her son. She had lost her, her husband. But Jesus saw her. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus sees you. In your mourning, in your sorrow, he sees you. His eyes are on you. You are not hidden from him. You are not abandoned or forsaken. God himself sees you. He doesn't just see you. He knows you. You are known. He knows your name. He cares deeply for you. You have value and worth. He loves you more than you can imagine. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And you are also loved. He doesn't just see you and know you. But he loves you. Because it's one thing to be seen. It's another thing to be seen and known. But Jesus sees us, knows us, and loves us. Because I promise you, if you see me and know me for who I really am, you might not love me like Jesus. But Jesus sees, he knows, and he loves. And he, loves, he loved you enough to step into your place, experience your pain so that he can know what you feel. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who is touched by the infirmities of our, uh, who is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it is we're going through. He feels the pain. So the comfort is knowing that you're not alone, that he's there with you. But the comfort is also knowing that one day he will make things right. And this incident that I talked about that happened last week, someday God will make it right. I believe that. I believe that. God is not finished with that. God is not finished with you. God is not finished with me. The only thing that, that God is finished with is his work in Jesus Christ. What God has done for Jesus, he will someday do for all of us, right? But he has not finished, he has not done that for all of us yet. And then in that day, all things will be made right. All wrongs will be made right. All injustices will be made right. I believe that. I believe scripture supports that. So the hope is not that the pain goes away now, but the hope, or I'm sorry, the blessedness is not that the pain goes away or the mourning even ceases. But it's that we're not alone and that God will make things right. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Take comfort this morning in knowing that you are not alone. And that one day God will make all things right. And he himself will dry all the tears from their eyes, from your eyes, from my eyes. So we got through two uh, of the teachings of Christ this morning, two of the Beatitudes. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Understand, know that you have a need of him. No one should leave here this morning thinking that they've got it all figured out or that they know what's best in every situation. I'm here to tell you that you don't. I don't. I was going to bed the other night and the Lord told, was working on me about a situation in my life. And he's like, are you going to practice what you preach or are you just going to do what you want to do? And I pretended like... I didn't hear him. <laughs> Eventually relented. But it's true. We all struggle. We all struggle. Just because I get up here and talk about following Jesus doesn't mean my life looks exactly like his. It's a struggle for all of us. But it's something that we have to do. We're called to take up our cross daily, deny ourselves, and follow him. It doesn't say take up your cross, get your neighbor to deny himself it says, deny yourself. 
We don't want to deny ourselves. I talked about, I don't know if it was last week, yeah, that, our, that on the, the idol of our hearts are our comfort and convenience. And those idols don't come down off those thrones very easily. Okay, blessed are the poor in spirit, and that's all of us. And blessed are those who mourn. And if you're mourning today, take comfort in knowing that God sees you. He knows you, and he loves you, and you're not alone. And you're not alone. You are not alone, and he will make all things right. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up. I'm going to ask um, uh, Walker and Paul if they will pass the communion. We're going to go into a time of communion. And while we take our communion this morning, I want us just to let the Lord know that we know that we need him. (laughs) Let the Lord know that you understand your need of him. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you're poor in spirit. Tell him that you're poor in spirit. And then if you're mourning this morning, if you find yourself in pain, pain of spirit, you find yourself suffering loss, then I want you to tell the Lord that you need comforted. Tell the Lord that you need some comforting today. Because he will comfort he will bring comfort for theirs morning. So as they sing, let's just pray and let the Lord know that we understand our, our need for him. And if you're mourning, ask him to comfort your spirit.